I just love this time of year. Like, it's so green right now. I mean, doesn't it just feel like alive and vibrant? The sun has been shining. Um, I'm, you know, many of you know I love camping. That season is upon us to get out and walk through the woods. And I was driving the other day. I was thinking, you know, it wasn't that long ago that these trees were bare, right? Like, isn't it amazing how things can just come to life? Part of why I'm especially feeling that way today is not just because it's beautiful outside, but because of what we're celebrating with the church here. This day in the church here, this day we commonly refer to as Pentecost. Um, you could also call it a couple of other titles that we don't typically use in the, uh, in the Christian church, but in, the, in the, the Jewish background, it was a day that actually it's an Old Testament feast, uh, festival known as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. So those are other names for this day. This day is about celebrating abundance celebrating life, celebrating that God has made it so we can flourish. It was the start of the Feast of Harvest, also known as Pentecost, and the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a violent wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what looked like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. At this same time, there were other Jews from many lands staying in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. They also heard this sound and the sound of the disciples, and they all gathered together in bewilderment. Each one had heard their own tongue being spoken, and yet the ones who were speaking were not from their lands. They were hearing these Galilean disciples of Jesus declare the wonders of God in their own languages. Some were amazed, some perplexed, and still some were doubtful. So the disciple named Peter stood and began speaking the gospel to the crowd, telling them of Jesus, of his death and resurrection proclaiming him as both Lord and Messiah. He called on those who had gathered to repent and be baptized so they too could receive the Holy Spirit. Many accepted his message and thousands were added to their number that day. Often people will refer to this day as being the day that marks the beginning of the New Testament church, the birthday of the church. And it's more than though just the beginning. It's really this, this embarking of, of, of new life working in us, moving in us, and spreading throughout the world. But as you think of really living, really having an abundant life, really flourishing, I'm sure I don't have to convince you that there's something that fights against us when it comes to really living, that sometimes we don't feel at all like we're flourishing, and there can be this, this struggle that we face. And so today's lesson is a lesson from 2 Timothy that will help give us perspective, perspective, help us understand how the Spirit gives us victory in this battle and gives us the ability to embrace the life given us, helps us overcome in the fight 
to flourish. The lesson we have is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now this lesson is part of the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to younger pastor Timothy. And there are layers to their relationship. Part of it has to do with the fact that, that Paul is just he's the more seasoned pastor. He is more experienced. Uh, Timothy is younger, but he has a big responsibility. They have sent him. He's over in Ephesus to help out with the things there. And so he's overseeing a church that has some problems. And so 1 Timothy, especially when you read it, the first letter that we have, Paul is giving him many directions about how to work in that church. He's young, but he is equipped. He talks to him in that letter about not neglecting your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So the Holy Spirit had really pointed him out. He not only was brought the faith in who God was and who Jesus was and is, but also empowered to really minister and serve. And so Paul wrote that first letter, giving him many, many directions on how to do that, especially in that setting. When you get to the second letter, you can see more so, too, that it's not just, uh, okay, I'm helping train a younger pastor, but that really Timothy was, was a younger disciple mentee, if you will, of Paul. That Paul had mentored him, that Paul cared for him. He even describes himself as being like a spiritual father in the faith to Timothy. And he, he cares deeply for Timothy. And it comes out more in the second letter because, well, Paul has been running into some major issues. Paul has been imprisoned. And he's recognizing, actually, that this imprisonment is probably likely going to lead to his death soon. And so he's, he's thinking more deeply about this relationship, about all his relationships, and so you can really see his heart for young Timothy in this second letter. He's also been facing challenges because, you know, Paul's life wasn't, was not smooth. He was not this super successful looking pastor. His life ran into many challenges, shipwrecks, being rejected by people, and now these imprisonments. And as a result, many people had actually deserted Paul. They had basically said, we don't want, you know, maybe we don't want to have anything to do with this guy. Yeah, he's, he's teaching these words and sharing this message, but apparently his life is not going well. And so they kind of just left him. He was left alone for much of the time in prison. And so Paul, when he writes this letter, he's writing also now to encourage Timothy to not join with the people who are leaving Paul behind. Probably partly for his own sake because he wants company and encouragement, but also because he is concerned that in the face of the, the, the challenges to live out your life, that maybe Timothy will walk away from it and give it up. And so Paul writes to encourage Timothy, and he also shares that in the midst of all this, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. So it's after expressing his confidence in God to take care of this faith that he then leads into this lesson that we have in front of us today where we learn about how the Spirit gives us this victory in the fight to flourish. Our lesson says, it begins, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. 
Now, there are a number of words in this lesson that when you see them in the original language, so when I was studying the original language this week, like, oh, there's some flavor to this that is really incredibly enriching, that is easy to overlook with the English. So we're going to hit a few of these. The first one is the word pattern. Pattern's a fine translation, but when you dig in the word, you can get more, more layers to it. The word is often used to express like an example or maybe like a diagram of like, this is how, this is how it works. So if you're going to build it, you build it this way. You put something together, this is how it goes together. So it's really laid out exactly how you're supposed to do it. But at its core and at its base, it actually literally means imprint or stamp. So you think if you, you know, maybe later today you're going to go walk on the beach somewhere. I don't know. And if you walk in the sand, what do your feet leave behind? These footprints. Those prints are not your feet, but they are the shape of your feet. And you can see the design, and, and so it leaves that imprint. So here, Paul is talking about something that has been given to, to Timothy. It's not just in a, a pattern or example to follow. It is a pattern or example that comes from this imprint that he has left on Timothy. This imprint that comes from what he says is it describes a sound teaching. Or more literally, literally healthy words. Now, sound teaching is, is again, it's, it's a it's fine translation, but it kind of sounds more like, okay, this is make sure that you've got the answers right. But when you see it more literally, healthy words, it's got a different feel, doesn't it? Like, this is healthy. This is good for you. And not only is it healthy words that he's talking about, the Greek word for words here is logos, which if you remember back to the Christmas season, we tend to bring this word up more at that point, especially in talking about John chapter 1, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and, and it's describing the eternal Son of God who takes on human flesh and becomes the man Jesus. And he's described as the, 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 the Word, the Logos, that has always existed. He's the, the creative but power of the Father in a way, more than, no, I don't want to, I mean, that was probably not the best way to say it. He is the eternal Son of God who has the task of carrying out and having the power of creating. And so it's this, this whole thought of how are we going to create the world? We have the Father and then the Son is the one who, who, who does it. So it's more than just something you speak, but it actually, it's like an idea that gets into motion. Now the fact that this word comes up here is significant for a couple of reasons. One, because it's just talking about healthy words. That initially is important. But also, as we go through this lesson, there will be a number of words that, when we see them in the original language, will connect us back to the beginning and connect us to some other parts of Scripture. And as we think about that connection, it can help us with this, uh, this fight to flourish. Something that, that I've learned more recently about God's Word is, and there's actually a, a, a pastor theologian this last week who, who used this great picture. I, I saw it in a video, and, and, I, and it was really helpful. He said, when you study Scripture, it's kind of like talking with a friend who you and that friend share a love for the same movie or song. So that when you share, like, speak a phrase that comes from that movie, your friend knows it comes from that movie, and they get it without you having to say anything. Or they understand the song. It's like a little reference. 
And, you know, I find Stella and I are doing, my wife Stella and I are doing that more now. We, like, we'll say a line, and we know it's a song from our teenage years, and our daughter Ruthie has no clue, right? She's totally oblivious, but we're actually making, like, a, a reference. Scripture does this all the time. And this is part of the reason why, and maybe as we were reading through the background lesson today, at some point I'm thinking you probably are going to go, really, does Pastor A take us back to Genesis every week? Kind of, Yeah. I've come to realize that if you can hold the first three chapters of Genesis in your mind, in the backdrop of basically every section of Scripture, you will understand it better. Like, it is just so many things are just referring back, or if you see it in the backdrop, like, if you just, the more you can put that in your memory, Genesis 1 to 3, things pop all over Scripture. And it will happen again in our lesson today. Starting with what we just saw with Logos, these healthy words this healthy logos, and we're going to see more in that lesson in a bit, but in order to help you see it, I want to take you back to that lesson from Genesis and look at something there so to then to see if that, that something pops in, your, in the lesson today. Okay, so in our background lesson, we were told how the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, became a, a living being, okay? Everything is good in creation in Genesis. It's beautiful. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I pointed that out when we read the background lesson, that idea of taking care of it. The word in the original language there means to stand guard or watch over. So it's not just go be a gardener, Adam. That's part of it. Gardening's great. But keep watch over the garden. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind as we look at our lesson today and dig into it a bit more. The first word is what of this verse? Guard. So right away, we have this guard. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And this word good, it's, it's a word that means really, like it's, it's not just, well, this is a good thing, but something that is beautiful. And it's, it, it's good. When God created everything, what was it initially? Good beautiful, wonderful. And then he took and he placed Adam where? In the garden. He entrusted the garden to, to Adam. This word deposit, it describes anything that is handed over for one's safekeeping. God creates Adam in this good world, puts him in this good garden, and he entrusts it to him to keep watch over. What does God say, what does God say here through Paul to Timothy? Guard this good, beautiful gift that I have given you, I've entrusted it to you. It's the same, same idea that is going on here with Timothy as was going on in the beginning. Also, he goes on to talk about how you guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we talk and often we will tie, we will, we will, we will point right to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active throughout the Old Testament, just sometimes we have to be more clued in to see it. The word spirit literally means breath or moving air. So when you look in the Genesis account, and we're told that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and what did he do? He breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Scripture refers again and again to the Holy Spirit as being the spirit of life. He's the life giver. So here, what do we have? Guard this good gift that has been entrusted to you. 
And you guard it by the Holy Spirit who gives you, he's the life spirit. The one who gave life in the beginning, who gives life now. This fight to flourish is about the fact that God has entrusted us with something incredible, something amazing, something through the spirit that he wants, wants us to guard and to watch over. If you're a note taker, this is the time to get your worship folder out. You've got this blank treasure chest in your worship folder. And if you, there's the pencils and the chair in front of you if you want to use them. What's the treasure? What is Paul talking to Timothy about right here? It's life itself. Just like in the beginning, the Holy Spirit gave life. And then God gave vibrant, flourishing life to Adam. This is a matter of life right here. Paul wants Timothy to guard these words, this logos of life. Which is important to note it that way because sometimes when we read sections like that talk about keeping sound doctrine or sound teaching, we can go, okay, that sounds important. And it is. And we can look at it and go, okay, that means I need to keep the word of God true. And it's do it does. But there's this layer here that I want you to think about it this way. If you were out, I said we were lost in the woods, didn't know your way, way out. And you were lost in the woods and you had a book, maybe even the Bible, and you're like, okay, this is the book that gives me, that, that, that speaks God's word, this is important to me. Seeing it as a book when you're out in the woods is important. But what if you saw this book like you'd see this if you're out in the woods lost. You know, like if, if you're out in the woods and some critter came and tried to eat your Bible, you'd probably first of all be like, dumb animal, it's just book. Like it's not something you eat, right? And secondly, like you know the gospel, right? Maybe, like maybe you would go fight it off, you probably would. But there's something about like just our physical needs where we'd see if that same animal was coming for this and this was the only thing of food you had, to survive, you'd probably take that thing off, right? Because I need this to survive. This is like, I need to eat and have life to live. When he's talking about sound teaching here, it's not just with, make sure you don't get the answers wrong. He's talking about the words that give life. This is worth guarding. This is worth protecting. These are the words, the words that give life. This is a a fight. This is the good deposit of life that he has handed over, has handed over to you. But now, what are some of the things that try to fight against this, that try to take this good deposit? There are a number of things that, that Paul mentions here in this letter. And so we're going to hit a few of these. Just, just note some of these down here. Again, if you're taking notes, this is a good time. One of the things that tries to take it is suffering. Suffering can sometimes try to come at our life because it can make us question. Like if things aren't going well, remember when things weren't going well for Paul? This is when people were like, well, this doesn't seem to be flourishing. Our human definition for what a flourishing life looks like can lead us away from true life. If you look through God's word, God often works through suffering. He uses it to accomplish his plan. But our limited minds have a hard time embracing that. So sometimes suffering can be the thing that leads us away from God. 
False teachings. There were a lot of false teachings that were going around in that time. Teachings that lead you astray and go off in different directions. Those things can lead you away from the truth of who God is. It's part of why it's so important to, to, to have good training and education as far as what God's word says. And then also, as church members, to listen closely to what your pastors are telling you. And if something seems off, to ask about it. Wait a minute, is that really what Scripture says? Ask us. Let's dig into it. Let's make sure we're staying, we're communicating it clearly. Paul mentions to Timothy youthful passions. And you can think about whatever things that especially when you're young and you're, uh, you're excited about various youthful passions, he points out, that can lead you in different directions. And I suppose as you get older, you still have various ones. Maybe they shift a bit. You know, whether it be when guys and girls, maybe it becomes prestige and power when you get older, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it can shift. But then here's another one that Paul points out that I just find really interesting is foolish arguments. He goes off on Timothy about making sure not to get caught up in dumb arguments. And I find that really interesting as a pastor because you know what often happens amongst pastors? Dumb arguments. <laughs> It does. Like sometimes when you got a group of pastors together, they'll argue about the most nitpicky little thing in the name of, and again, we, have to, we need to have good teaching. But sometimes we can get so caught up in churches. Maybe you've been in a church that people are arguing about the color of the carpet, you know, and it gets vicious. Really? Like God's saying, like, here, don't get caught up and don't, don't lose a sight of what matters. Point out the false teachings. Don't get caught up in the stupid arguments differentiate between the two. Okay, so these are some of the things that can try to come at our faith. There's more. In verses 2 to 5 of chapter 3, Paul goes through and he makes this list. It's pretty exhaustive in many ways. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's an intriguing one, isn't it? Looking godly but denying the power of God? It's interesting. Have nothing to do with them. I read it pretty quickly because there's a lot there. And we just don't have the time this morning to really dissect all of those. Um, it would be worth taking time and just reading through chapter 3 on your own to kind of think about those and, and soak them in a bit more. We're just going to sum them up by saying sinful world for our notes today. But I encourage you in your own time to look through those. Just all the various aspects of the sinful world can come at us in different ways. And they try to get at this life that God has given us. And it's a fight. You've maybe felt the temptation to get into a stupid argument. You maybe have felt those youthful passions. Maybe you've been kind of pulled off and caught to the side by some of those false teachings at times. It can show up, especially with YouTube. There's teachers all over who are teaching stuff that are, you got to go, wait a minute, is this God's word? And of course, all the different sinful things. But as we face this fight, this lesson also points us to the way we have victory. Because he says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For every way that we have let the fight get at our lives, where we have not guarded the life that God has given us, 
For every single way, Jesus took that on himself, and he went to the cross, and he took the death that comes as a result of it. That's why he died, to pay for that, to overcome it, and he rose to give this life back to you. And through faith in Jesus, you have this life restored. You have this life restored. And by the power of the Spirit who gives you that faith, you receive that life, and you can begin to embrace that life. Now, as we think about the Spirit today in connection with what Jesus has done by his death and his resurrection, there's something that was a practice in the Old Testament, pretty common, that can actually be very helpful for us in understanding how this new life has come to us now by Jesus and by the Spirit. It's a practice that I was aware of, but until just recently, I didn't really understand its significance and how it helps us understand this. And it's going to help us understand Pentecost today and how this all fits together too. So we're going to take a couple minutes and watch a video about the Old Testament practice of anointing. There's a rich there's a ritual in the Bible involving fragrant plants and spices that make a rich oil to pour on special objects or people. This is called anointing oil. And its meaning is rooted in the story of the Garden of Eden, where God provided water for the dry land and formed the human, filling him with his spirit. This is the first anointing. The oil is a liquid symbol. It's the water of life and God's spirit combined together, used to mark a person or a place as a bridge between heaven and earth. During his wilderness exile, Jacob had a dream. He sees a stairway leading up to heaven. When he wakes, he anoints the stone on which he slept and called the place House of God a place where heaven and earth are one. The Israelites built the tabernacle in the wilderness. When it was completed, they anointed the tent with oil, marking it as a place where God's heavenly presence has come down to earth. Israel's priests and their kings were anointed with oil to set them apart as leaders, to mediate God's heavenly wisdom to the world. But they rejected God's wisdom they led with violence leading to ruin and exile. Their failure created hope for the ultimate anointed one. One anointed not merely with oil, but with water and spirit. Not merely a bridge to heaven, but heaven itself come to earth. This is Jesus Christ. More than a name, Christ is a title it means anointed one, the new human, the ultimate priest, the cosmic king, God's heavenly life coming into our world in a new way, a surprising way. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he spread his anointing out into the world through his followers, Christians, from the word Christ, anointed ones who follow the anointed one. People marked by God's spirit so that more and more of earth can be filled with the life of heaven. Our mission at Bible Project. 
so in this fight to flourish, to have life, real life, where do you find this life? It's by being in, looking in Jesus, the one who is God himself, bringing his life into this world, and to the spirit who has anointed us, fills us with this, with this life. That term Christ, and I've even found myself more and more saying Jesus the Christ to kind of remind myself that it is a title, it's not just a name. This word means anointed. It's a place where heaven and earth come together, where, where, where heaven breaks through into earth, if you will, and, and that's so significant because then as a Christian, you are in that too. And the Spirit of God working in you is the Spirit of God anointing you, bringing the life of God into you into this world. And Pentecost, that day where the Spirit came in a whole new way, marked the spread of God's life in his followers, in believers, spreading throughout the world. How do we flourish? It's in Jesus. It's by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, this treasure of life of a transformed life today, but really ultimately a life that goes on into eternity. This life is guarded and protected and sustained and spread. So how does he do it? Where do we find it? Well, first of all, let's note, how do we have this treasure or what is this treasure? It's life. Who gives it to us? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Note those two points down first. There are many ways that he works, but our lesson points out about a, out a few here. First of all, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us faith. Faith is essentially having life with God. God breathed life into Adam to give him life. The Holy Spirit breathes life to give us spiritual life so that we believe. Our faith is a gift from the Spirit. And then he gives us this gift through the Word of God. When you hear the Word of God... Or when the word of God is connected with the waters in baptism, this word of God is what he works through. And as he continues now, as like we gather today and we, we study God's word, if you read God's word on your own, it's through God's word that he protects and takes care of this life that you've been given. It's, it's through that word that he, he gives you the hope that you need. It's through God's word that he reminds you of how he works that he gives you that confidence when, it, when things aren't going well, that God is still with you. That when, things, when there is suffering, that he can use it. That God's ways are so upside down from the world's ways. It's through the word that he protects your life. And as he protects your life, he protects it also with the love of Christ. It's one thing to learn the truths of scripture, and all that is wonderful. But the truths of scripture are really nothing for us if we don't know the love of God that comes to us through the scripture. To know that you are loved, that he is for you, that he is with you, that he is on your side, so much so that his son Jesus came to die for you, to rescue you, to guide you. In the face of so many things, if you know nothing else in the midst of life's confusion, if you know God loves you, it makes such a difference. So how does he protect your life? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, by giving you faith through the word to believe and receive the love of God. This is how we overcome. This is how we step forward and embrace life and bring life throughout the world. 
and give the hope of a life that goes beyond this broken world as we know it. This is how we overcome in the fight to flourish.